Lesson 13 for September 22 to 28, ready for teaching on September 29, Journey to Rome, Sabbath afternoon, September 22. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're coming to the end of this quarter's lessons, and it's been a fantastic journey through the book of Acts, and we've we've learned about Peter and Luke, and we've we've learned about Barnabas, but we've spent a lot of time with Paul and learnt an enormous amount from him. And we pray as we continue to uh, study this week that uh, our hearts will be open to your Holy Spirit guiding us. May your words speak to us, and may we remember the important things from this series of lessons. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Acts chapter 27 and verse 24. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Let's read that again. Acts 27 verse 24. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Paul had long wished to visit Rome, but his arrest in Jerusalem changed everything. By giving in to the legalistic pressure of the Jerusalem church leaders, he ended up in Roman custody for almost five years, including the time he spent on the sea journey to Italy. This change represented a severe blow to his missionary plans. Despite the setback, Jesus himself promised that the apostle would still testify of him in Rome, and that was in Acts 23 verse 11. Even when we fail him, God may still give us another chance, though he does not always spare us from the consequences of our actions. Not only was Paul taken to Rome as a prisoner, but there is no biblical evidence that he ever went to Spain, as he had hoped to do. And we read about that several times in Romans 15 verse 24. After being released from what is known as the first Roman imprisonment, Paul would be arrested again, this time to suffer martyrdom, under Nero in AD 68. We read that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. And that reads, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Yes, Paul made it to Rome, and while waiting in his house prison to be tried before the emperor, he spoke despite his chains. Ephesians 6 verse 20 For which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. And Philippians 1 13 As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Without hindrance to whatever came to him, Acts 28 verse 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, and including important figures from Caesar's household. Philippians 4 verse 22. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household.
Sunday, September 23, sailing to Rome. After about two years of confinement in Caesarea, and we read about that in Acts 24-27, Paul was to be sent to Rome. Judging by the first-person plural and the richness of details used to describe the long and turbulent sea journey to Italy, Luke was accompanying Paul, as was another Christian named Aristarchus. Another important character in the story was the Roman centurion Julius, who had other prisoners in his charge. We'll read Acts 27, 1-9 to get this in context. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to see his friends, so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again, and passed to the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open ocean, all the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and put us aboard. We made slow headway for many days, and had difficulty arriving off Sinaitis. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salmoni. We moved along the coast with difficulty, and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them. It was late summer when they departed. The fast, in Acts 27.9, refers to the Day of Atonement, in the second half of October. Because of the winter conditions, travel in the Mediterranean was normally avoided between November and March. This time, however, they faced difficulties from the beginning, and only after much delay they reached the small bay of Fair Havens in the island of Crete. And we read that in verse 8 just now. Question. Read Acts 27, verses 9 through to 12. While in Fair Havens, how did Paul intervene in the story, and how was his intervention received? Acts chapter 27, beginning at verse 9. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. Paul's warnings went unheeded, and so they decided to sail westward another 40 miles, or 64 kilometres, to a harbour, Phoenix, where they could winter with safety. Unfortunately, with a sudden change in the weather, they were caught in such a violent tempest that the crew had no option but to let the ship be driven southwest by the wind, away from land. Soon they began to throw the cargo overboard, and even some of the ship's gear, in a frantic attempt to lighten it as it was already taking on water. The situation was dramatic. 
After several days of scant daylight, poor visibility, heavy rain and raging winds, without knowing where they were and in complete exhaustion, they, as it says in verse 20, finally gave up all hope of being saved. Question. Read Acts 27, verses 21 to 26. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. In prophetic words, Paul told the crew a message he had just received from God. There was no reason to despair or lose hope. There would still be danger and loss but all of them would survive. And so to finish the day, why would such a faithful and dedicated servant of the Lord like Paul have to suffer through so much? What lessons can we learn from his experiences? Monday, September 24, The Shipwreck In his second intervention in the story, Paul assured all who were on board, 276 people altogether, that though not everything would come out fine, there would be no casualties, only the ship would go down. Acts 27.37 reads, Altogether there were 276 of us on board. And verse 22 reads, But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Fourteen days later the apostles' words were fulfilled. Still, under a terrible storm, and with the ship completely adrift, the sailors sensed land was near, possibly because they could hear the noise of breakers, as we read in verse 27. On the fourteenth night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when, about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. After a series of soundings, and fearing the ship would be driven against the rocks along the shore, they dropped four anchors from the back of the ship in order to reduce their speed. Meanwhile, they desperately asked their gods for daylight to come, as we read in verses 28 and 29. They took soundings and found that the water was a 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Question. Read Acts 27, verses 30 to 44. What lessons are here for us in this story? Reading Acts 27, beginning at verse 30. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. 
So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last fourteen days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach, where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. In the beginning of the journey, the centurion treated Paul well, but had no reason to trust the Apostles' nautical judgment earlier in the trip. After two weeks, however, things were different. Paul had already gained the centurion's respect with his prophetic intervention about the shipwreck, which was headed now to its fulfilment. Paul urged the people on board to eat, otherwise they would not have the strength to swim and get ashore. Divine providence does not necessarily exempt us from doing what would normally be our duty. As David J. Williams writes in Acts, page 438, throughout this narrative a nice balance is maintained between God's assurance of their safety and the efforts of the people involved to ensure it. End of quote. As morning approached, the sails came in sight of land. It was a bay with a beach where they decided to run the ship aground. The ship, however, never reached the beach. Instead, it stuck a sandbar and ended up breaking apart by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan to kill the prisoners to prevent them from escaping was stopped by the centurion, mainly because of Paul. In the end, as God had promised, not a single life was lost. So to finish the day, what should it say to us about the power of Paul's witness and his character that in a desire to keep Paul alive, the soldiers were forbidden to kill any of the prisoners? Tuesday, September 25, in Malta. It was only upon reaching the shore that the survivors learned they were in Malta, a small island in the centre of the Mediterranean, just south of Sicily. In the two weeks they had been adrift in the sea, yielded to the force of the wind, they had covered about 475 miles. 
and that must be pretty close to 760 kilometres since Fairhaven's in Crete. Now, they would have to wait out the three months of winter before continuing their journey, as we read in Acts 28.11. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Question. Read Acts 28, verses 1 through to 10. What happened to Paul on the island of Malta, and how was God able to use him? So, Acts 28, beginning at verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escapes from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belongs to Publius, the chief official on the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. The people of Malta were very friendly and hospitable. In their first action toward Paul and his group, who were all wet and cold, was to light a fire to warm them up. The temperature in Malta at this time of the year would not be higher than about 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius. The incident of the snake drew the people's attention to Paul. At first, the local pagans viewed the fact that he was bitten as an act of divine retribution. They thought Paul was a murderer who had managed to escape from death by drowning, but was still caught by the gods or perhaps the Greek goddess Daiki, the personification of justice and vengeance. Because the apostle did not die, he was hailed as a god, as had happened in Lystra several years before, and we read about that in Acts 14. Though Paul does not dwell on the episode, it is probably safe to assume that Paul took advantage of the situation to bear witness of the god he served. Publius was either the Roman procurator of Malta or just a local dignitary, but he welcomed Paul and his companions for three days until they found a more permanent place to stay. At any rate, the healing of this man's father gave Paul the opportunity to engage in a sort of healing ministry among the Maltese people. In Luke's account, there is no mention of a single convert or of any congregation Paul left behind when he departed from Malta. Such omission might be entirely coincidental, but it illustrates the fact that our mission in the world goes beyond baptisms or church planting. It also involves concern for people and their needs. This is the practical aspect of the gospel, as we read in Acts 20 and verse 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by, his, by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, 
it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Titus chapter 3 verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. And so to finish today, how fascinating that these islanders who were ignorant about God's law had a sense of divine justice. Where ultimately did that come from? Well, let's just look at Romans 1, verses 18 through to 19. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Wednesday, September 26, Paul in Rome, finally. After three months in Malta, Paul and his companions were finally able to continue their journey. Acts 28.11 tells us that. They arrived in Puteoli, we find in Acts 28.13, which is modern Pozzuoli, in the Bay of Naples, from where they would travel to Rome by road. The whole story is in Acts 28, verses 11 to 16. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. The news of Paul's approach quickly reached Rome, and from there a group of believers travelled several miles south to welcome him. Though he had never been to Rome, the Apostle had numerous friends in the city, co-workers, converts, relatives, and many others who were very dear to him. We read about that in Romans 16, verses 3 to 16. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. 
Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Flingon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. The meeting on the Appian Way must have been particularly moving, especially in view of the shipwreck and the fact that Paul was now a prisoner. As a result of such a unique demonstration of love and care on the part of his beloved friends, the Apostle thanked God and felt deeply heartened as he was about to face trial before the Emperor. In his official report, Festus certainly must have written that, according to Roman law, Paul was not guilty of any significant crime, as we read in Acts 25, verses 26 and 27, and also in 26, verses 31 and 32. This probably explains why he was allowed to rent a private dwelling, as we read in Acts 28:30. For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him, instead of being sent to a regular prison or military camp, though after Roman fashion he was chained to a soldier the whole time. That Paul was at his own expense implies he was able to carry on his own trade, as we read in Acts 18.3, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Question. Read Acts 28 verses 17 through to 20. What did Paul do as soon as he settled down? Acts 28, begin at verse 17. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Though Paul could not go to the synagogue, the synagogue could come to him. So, soon after his arrival, following his policy of going first to the Jews, as we read in Romans 1.16, he called together the local Jewish leaders to state his innocence and explain, as he had done before, that he had been arrested for no reason other than the hope of Israel. We read these texts in Acts 23, 6, 24, 15 and 26, 6 to 8.
So, first of all, Acts 23, verse 6. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And then Acts 24, 15. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And Acts 26, verse 6 to 8. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? His intention was not so much to defend himself as to create an atmosphere of trust that allowed him to preach the gospel, showing how Jesus' resurrection was the fulfilment of Israel's ancestral hope. Surprised that they had not received any information from Jerusalem about Paul, the Jews decided to hear him. And so to finish today, read Acts 28.22. What does this tell us about the hostility against the believers still at that time? How can we stay faithful even when others are talking against our faith? Acts 28 verse 22 But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Thursday, September 27, the victory of the gospel. On a set day, the Jews came in large numbers to hear Paul's presentation of the gospel. We read that in Acts 28.23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Question. Read Acts 28 verses 24 to 31. What was Paul's point in quoting Isaiah in this text? Acts 28, beginning at verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to our ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The quotation from Isaiah 6 verses 9 and 10 describes what happens when people refuse to accept the divine message. Though some Jews believed, others didn't 
And so, because of this great dispute, the Apostle had no choice but once again to turn to the Gentiles. As we read in Acts thirteen forty. 6 and 47 Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, but you reject it, and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I will make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And Acts 18 and verse 6. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul had to wait two years to be tried by the emperor. Meanwhile, though, restricted to his prison house, he was still able to share the gospel without hindrance with those who came to him. The last scene of Acts is one that emphasizes the victory of the gospel, as no force, whether Jewish or Roman, had been able to stop its progress. It is not clear while Luke finishes his book at this point, as there is evidence that, due to the weakness of the case against Paul, he was released from his imprisonment, went on another missionary journey, and was again taken to Rome and executed. We read in Second Timothy 4, verses 6 to 8, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Perhaps from the standpoint of Luke's literary purpose, by having preached even in distant Rome, the gospel already had reached the ends of the earth, as it said in Acts 1 verse 8. And from the book Acts of the Apostles, page 464, we read, Paul's patience and cheerfulness during this long and unjust imprisonment, his courage and faith, were a continual sermon. His spirit, so unlike the spirit of the world, bore witness that a power greater than that of earth was abiding with him. And by his example, Christians were impelled to greater energy as advocates of the cause from the public labours of which Paul had been withdrawn. In these ways were the apostles' bonds influential, so that when his power and usefulness seemed cut off, and to all appearances he could do the least, then it was that he gathered sheaves for Christ in fields from which he seemed wholly excluded. End of quote. From the standpoint of the Church's mission, however, it could be said that the Book of Acts, or the history of the spreading of the Gospel, is not yet finished, and it is here that each one of us enters the picture. Many more exciting and dramatic chapters have been written throughout the centuries, sometimes with the blood of God's faithful witnesses. Now it is our turn to add just one more chapter, the last one, we hope, and bring the mission Jesus left with his disciples to its full completion. And then the end will come, as it says in Matthew 24 and verse 14.
Friday, September 28. From the book The Acts of the Apostles, page 600, Ellen White writes, Christ has given to the Church a sacred charge. Every member should be a channel through which God can communicate to the world the treasures of His grace, the unsearchable riches of Christ. There is nothing that the Saviour desires so much as agents who will represent to the world His Spirit and His character. There is nothing that the world needs so much as the manifestation through humanity of the Saviour's love. All heaven is waiting for men and women through whom God can reveal the power of Christianity. And from the same book, page 111, Long has God waited for the spirit of service to take possession of the whole church, so that everyone shall be working for him according to his ability. When the members of the Church of God do their appointed work in the needy fields at home and abroad in fulfilment of the Gospel Commission, the whole world will soon be warned, and the Lord Jesus will return to this earth with power and great glory. And that brings us to our five discussion questions this week. 1. How does Luke portray Paul's faith in God throughout the whole journey to Rome? How were others affected by such unconditional faith? 2. Despite everything he had gone through, Paul never gave up his faith or his mission. In Rome, he continued to preach despite his limited freedom. What can we do when tempted to give up on our proclamation of the gospel to someone? 3. Read Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Why did Paul feel himself under obligation, or a debtor, to preach the gospel to everyone? Are we less obliged than he was? Romans 1, beginning at verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Consider this statement from Testimonies for the Church, volume 4, page 53. To save souls should be the life work of everyone who professes Christ. We are debtors to the world for the grace given us of God, for the light which has shone upon us, and for the discovered beauty and power of the truth. And question four. Read again the passage from Isaiah that Paul used. How could this idea apply to us? Yes, we have been given a great deal of truth, but if we harden ourselves to it, or even to aspects of it that might conflict with our own wishes or desires, what danger could we face spiritually? And those texts read, and it's from Acts 28, verses 26 and 27, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And question number five. Imagine being the soldier chained to Paul. What do you think he saw in the man to whom he was so closely tied? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled 
A Healthy Church for the Rich, and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. Keong Kwon, a business owner and church planter, chose an affluent suburb of South Korea's capital Seoul to open his second church. His first church, opened in a rural area four years earlier, was filled to overflowing, and he wanted a new challenge. When God first called me, I said, I can't, Kwon said. But after I witnessed God's power, I became bolder. He reasoned that impoverished people can accept God more easily than the wealthy. He wondered how to share the gospel with those who have everything and decided that even the wealthy need good health. So he opened the Bundang New Start Church and a vegetarian restaurant in an office building in the suburb of Bundang. I decided God's health message is the way to share the last day gospel, he said. The new church began organising health seminars, cooking classes and Bible studies. Among the first attendees was a pharmacist who seemed to enjoy the week-long health seminar. After the seminar finished, participants interested in more information were invited to attend Bible studies on Daniel and Revelation. But the pharmacist didn't come. Quan made some inquiries and learned that the pharmacist had taken a week of vacation to attend the health seminar. She didn't have free time for Bible studies, so Quan made audio recordings of the Bible studies and sent them to her. The woman was really shocked by what she heard, but she didn't want to leave her Sunday church, Quan said. The pharmacist's mind began to change as she continued to listen to the Bible studies. She thought about keeping the Sabbath and worshipping at the church. As she pondered what to do, she began to suffer a bad headache. She worried that she might have brain cancer, but doctors couldn't find anything wrong. Still, the pain persisted. Finally, her 24-year-old daughter said, Do you know why you have the headache? It's because you know what's right, but you aren't doing it. I'll go to the Sabbath church with you. The pharmacist and her daughter showed up at church the next Sabbath, and they are faithful members today. From these kinds of experiences, I realise that this is God's business, Quan said. Hearts are not changed because of anything that people do. And, as I said before, Keong Kwan, 56, has planted three churches in South Korea. Part of this quarter's 13th Sabbath offering will help plant the first Adventist church in Sejong in South Korea. And today will be the last day of the South Queensland camp meeting for me near Brisbane. So, if you listen to these lessons with me each week and you happen to be at the camp meeting, please come and see me at the radio booth or ask someone to take you to where I am staying in my van. I look forward to seeing you if you can do that. But for the rest of us, enjoy living with God. Remember, God is always faithful. Your reader for this week's Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been Dr. Percy Harold. It has been produced in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind, distributed under the auspices of the Sabbath School Department by HopeChannel.com.